What happens when you put two experts behind mics to match wits on the current state of financial services, the economy, investments, and more? From the American College of Financial Services, this is Wealth Managed. Hello and welcome to Wealth Managed. I'm Michael Finca, Professor of Wealth Management at the American College of Financial Services. And I'm David Blanchett, Head of Retirement Research for PGM, which is the Asset Management Group of Prudential, and an Adjunct Professor of Wealth Management at the College. Right. I think, David, I know you've done some recent research on ESG investing, and I recently read a book called Your Essential Guide to Sustainable Investing by Larry Swedrow. I think probably the best book I've read on the topic of ESG investing. Larry is you know, very pro-ESG investing, but he is also using a science-based approach and helping us, I think, gain a deeper understanding of what it means to invest with a purpose. And I think we'll start out the conversation by saying there's a lot of misunderstanding. So ESG investing, one of the biggest misunderstandings is at the very beginning, when it started becoming popular, first of all, environmental sustainability, governance. Governance in the research has been associated with higher performance. You know, firms that have better governance, uh, if someone is underperforming, then the board of directors is going to boot them out. If they have poor governance, then there isn't that same level of oversight. But environmental is, is sustainability. No, you know, the, the, there shouldn't necessarily be a reason why those firms who care more about the environment should outperform. And in fact, there is a model which says that if people care about this stuff, then they should be willing to accept a lower risk premium from investing in companies that give them that warm glow feeling, that make them feel good about investing. And in fact, in this book, they lay out that research that shows that those ESG-friendly types of companies, or at least the funds that invested in those types of companies, did really well at the very beginning. Why? Because the valuations of those firms went up. And when the valuations of the firms go up, then the expected return after the fact goes down. And in fact, the re that's what the research shows right now. It used to be positioned that you could do well by doing good, that you could invest in these companies that did better social practices and outperform. But really, the data is showing exactly as we would expect from economic theory, that these companies are looking like they're going to underperform, which is okay, right? I mean, that's that is what you would expect, and it's not necessarily a bad thing. Yeah, so, you know, I, I actually did some research, I don't know, like a decade ago, looking at the collective performance of SRI funds. So SRI is socially responsible investing, right? And I, I did like SRI is like ESG 1.0, right? So it's, it's funds that, that screen out, you know, if you're Catholic or if you're you know, certain religious groups would screen out funds. And what I found was that there isn't evidence that there wasn't really evidence that SRI funds are like doomed to underperform, but they are going to likely perform differently than like the entire market. You know, like if you if you don't own banks for some reason and banks do well, you're going to underperform. And so I don't, you know, I, I've read a bunch of research on ESG, and I don't know that I buy the notion that ESG is it will necessarily outperform or underperform. I just, you know, I do believe that as an active strategy, there are going to be potentially extra fees there to kind of figure out what is the appropriate ESG angle for a given fund or strategy, but that doesn't mean it's not, to your earlier point, worth owning. I think that, you know, if an investor wants to align their portfolio with their overall 
perceptions on life, it can make a lot of sense. I didn't know that there's a huge amount of demand today for that in the US, but I know that it is much larger globally. What is a form of active investment? And it has all the disadvantages of active investment. It tends to have higher expense ratios. It tends to be less diversified. That's one of those issues that you always have to pay attention to. But you provide, unlike a lot of active investing, you actually get a value. And the value is that, I mean, if you think about this, if I, over the course of my lifetime, if I've got more than enough money, and Phil Cavetta at the college used to call it investing from a position of abundance. If you know you've got more than you're ever going to spend, then when you're investing, your sharp ratio, it doesn't really matter all that much. You're just going to be passing the money on anyway. And if as part of your investment, you can accept a lower sharp ratio or a lower overall performance or efficiency of your investments in order to feel like you're doing something good, then you might actually be investing more effectively than someone who is also investing from a position of abundance, but is not caring about what they're investing in. Then ultimately, they may be less happy with their portfolio than someone who is at least asked, to what extent do you value impact? You know, an impact investing is a more extreme form of socially responsible investing in the sense that you're acknowledging that your primary, or at least one of your primary goals is to have some sort of a social impact. You're willing to accept a lower return, less diversification, but you do it because you may not be spending that money anyway. And at least you get to feel good about yourself for investing in a responsible fashion. And I think that's where a lot of investment folks get it wrong. They say, well, you know, it's a scam, that you're underperforming, that it's just a stupid thing to care about. But, you know, if you're not going to spend the money anyway, then, and if you get happiness out of it, then you, you should be talking to your client about it. Yeah, you know, I don't think that even need to be a position of abundance, right? I think that people already do things that are ESG-like. I mean, maybe you shop at Whole Foods or you choose what companies to buy products from. And, and usually by doing that, you reduce your opportunity set. You might pay more for the opportunity. This to me is just an extension of that. I think that, that you know, for those that this is important for, do it. If, if you want to align your portfolio with, with, you know, your goals, do it. I mean, to me, there, there's just, we mentioned this already, but like there are significant differences in how different organizations who rate ESG rate it. You know, some companies might get an excellent e-score for one company, terrible for another. But again, so it, it can make it more difficult to deploy the strategies. But for someone that wants to align their wealth with, with how they feel about the environment or social or governance, I would recommend pursuing it. Yeah, and that's, I think, one of the points that they make in the book is that there's not a whole lot of correlation among these different socially responsible indexes. And that really means that there is a role for active oversight. You know, here is a real value added from active management is making sure that the values of the companies align with the values of the investors. And of course, management is going to change over time, and someone needs to be keeping track of the performance of that company in aligning their values with that of investors. And, and part of it is also eliciting those values. So when you sit down to work with a client, what are those values that you want to align with your portfolio? That's a source of value that an advisor can provide that I think is an advanced source of value that, that you know, they can at least talk to you about it. 
how do you want to invest? What are your values? And then how can we select a portfolio that makes that trade-off between efficiency and alignment with your impact goals? I would say I've mixed the positive feelings on direct indexing. But like, I feel like this is the perfect environment for building kind of like a truly custom portfolio for someone based upon, is it a taxable or non-taxable account? Do you like feel really strongly about environmental? Do you like not care about social and you kind of care about governance? Well, given your kind of like preferences towards the different components, as well as other, there's other things you can care about too. You could then kind of create this like custom basket of 67 stocks that, that best kind of creates a, an exposure to the general market, if we can call it that, that aligns with your objectives. So I, I really think that like, if I had to like pick a way that direct indexing can really help investors build better portfolios, this would be an example of that. Let's take a quick break. We'll be right back. Give your clients the retirement security they need with our Retirement Income Certified Professional designation. Visit theamericancollege.edu slash RICP to learn more. The American College of Financial Services is dedicated to providing applied financial knowledge and education, promoting lifelong learning and advocating for ethical standards for the benefit of society. I'm George Nichols III, President and CEO, and I encourage you to listen and subscribe to this and other college podcasts as we continue to expand our horizons in this digital landscape. Remember, no matter what, we are always stronger together. Visit theamericancollege.edu to learn how you can be part of the change we're building. Welcome back. Let's continue where we left off. Now, who cares more about this stuff? Now, I know you've looked at defined contribution participants and you know, maybe there's not a huge amount of interest in ESG investing among participants. I, I've done research on consumers and asked them who is interested. First of all, I, I'm, I'm with you that that interest in ESG investing is not ubiquitous. It's not that high among investors. And interestingly enough, it's not super high even among very wealthy investors. Where the sweet spot seems to be is highly educated. I would say upper middle class tends to be more female or women tend to be more attracted to ESG investing than, than men. What, what do you find from your research about attraction to sustainable investing by, by investors? Yeah, so I, you know, I, I did a study looking at the actual decisions that participants make and defined contribution plans with when they, when they self-direct. So if you build your own portfolio and, you know, what really got me interested in is some of the surveys out there are a little bit ridiculous. Like they're saying like, you know, like 80% of people will like sell their first unborn child to have access to ESG and 401k, but it's just nuts. And so I was like, these surveys make it sound like that everyone just has to have these things. They're going to like change jobs. And, and as you would guess, that's just not the case, right? I mean, so many people out there just go with the flow, default investment, all that. And so that, you know, the actual decisions among participants definitely suggest that people, that some folks do care, but most people just don't care a whole lot. Now that could change, but the reason it's important to me is just kind of, we have very different guidance about the role of ESG as you move across administrations. You know, if we go to the previous one, very anti-ESG, the current one, very pro-ESG. So there's really kind of very different implications for a plan sponsor to add them to a core menu versus say utilizing them as part of a taxable account on IRA. So I'm definitely skeptical of ESG inside DC plans. So I'm a lot more open to it as part of a kind of a strategy being built for a client by say a financial advisor. 
You know, and I think part of the value that a financial advisor provides is educating their client about how, what, what are the different types of investing? What is impact investing? What is socially responsible investing? You know, what's ESG? And then helping them, maybe for the first time ever. I mean, it's hard for anybody to say that this is important to them if they've never thought about it. And part of what an advisor can do is get you, it's like goal-based planning. It's like getting you maybe for the first time to think about what is your retirement goal? That process is important and building something that is consistent with your goals. I mean, that's what the whole financial planning idea is all about. So I'm not surprised that a lot of people don't care about it. I think one of the reasons is because the, the choice hasn't been presented to them. You know, if you're someone who obviously cares about climate change, then you don't want to feel as if your investments are contributing to making climate change worse. You want to feel like you're actually helping things get better. If that's important to you, you derive a certain amount of satisfaction from investing in a way that's consistent with your values. But again, that's why I think an advisor, by being aware and educated on this stuff, I mean, I think the worst thing you can do is just dismiss it. You can just say, well, that's, you know, it's you're not going to get as, the investment performance is not going to be as good. So you don't, you shouldn't worry about it. That's not the right approach. The right approach is to help people. I mean, that's that's your job as an advisor is to really help people understand how to translate their preferences into a financial plan. And in this case, it is a potential. It may matter for some people. It may not matter for others. But it's part of your job to be able to figure it out whether or not that's an important part of investing. Yeah, I mean, to me, this is like this notion of like investment alpha versus say like, I don't know, like goal alpha. Like it's not easy to add investment alpha every year, every quarter in and out. But if you're aligning the portfolio with someone's goals, that changes the narrative, right? So all of a sudden, maybe it's not as important if you beat a benchmark because you're focused on doing good for the climate. I think it leads to a better relationship, better, better decisions among advisors and their clients. So I think that, again, I would, I, th- I would never dismiss it. It might not be relevant for certain advisors, certain regions, but have the conversation. And if someone is interested in it, understand how to do it, like what funds exist, what tools exist, things like that. But that means you got to do your homework. And I think, you know, that's your homework for the future is to get a little bit more educated on this topic. David and I have both read a book on it. So we're getting there. We're getting a little bit closer. So this is Kyle Robertson, one of the producers of this show. And honestly, I've been listening to this conversation with great interest, although the whole episode, I've been getting more and more depressed the more we talk about ESG investing. And I'm one of those millennials, right? Like I want my money to speak for me. I want my money to speak to my values. And there's this really ugly word that my generation, I feel, hates, which is compromise. Uh, So from what I'm hearing... Is it really ESG investing? I mean, just kind of a compromise, like if I want my money to speak for me, to speak to my values when I'm investing and that kind of thing, am I just going to have to accept that I'm not going to, you know, get as much in return as I would if I wasn't necessarily doing ESG investing? How do people of my generation really get our money to speak to our values if ESG investing maybe isn't the answer? Kyle, I think the best way to think about it is to reframe the decision that you're making when you're investing. Remember, when you're investing, you're providing your capital to a company. And that company is doing something with the capital. They're making new products. They're creating a service that benefits consumers. And if you're providing, if more people like you are providing capital at a lower cost, that gives them the opportunity to make more of that good that is ultimately 
doing a benefit for the environment, maybe lower than the average return, the world is becoming a better place because of what you're doing. And that should give you a certain amount of satisfaction. It's not like you're really making a trade-off. It's you're accepting the possibility that your return is going to be lower than it would have been if you invested in something else. But ultimately, you're happier investing in something that you believe in. And this is one of those examples where I know David and I are big believers in passive investing, but actually doing a little bit of research to see what companies are doing to reduce things like the problems of climate change gives you a certain amount of satisfaction and helps you believe that you're contributing to the solution through your investments. And because you're making an investment, you should receive a return on that investment, maybe less than if you're supporting companies that are making things worse, but ultimately you're happier because of it. So on that note, thank you everyone for joining us for this episode. Make sure you subscribe, rate, and review. And you can listen to all our previous episodes at theamericancollege.edu slash podcast. I'm Michael Finca. And I'm David Blanchett. See you later. For more episodes and shows, visit theamericancollege.edu slash podcasts. Wealth Managed is a production of the American College of Financial Services. 